All right, good morning, everybody. We are going to start a brand new series today, and I want to welcome all of our campuses and all those online joining us as we do that. We're going to jump into Storm Shelter, which is going to be a study of the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. 1 Peter was a letter that Peter wrote the church and the church people who were around the city of Rome, ancient Rome. And what he was doing with this letter is he was warning God's people that there was a storm on the way. He was telling them there's a storm on the way, you need to be ready for it, and then he's going to tell them what their shelter needs to be, how they need to shelter themselves during the storm. It kind of reminds me of uh, a story that's part of American history. In the year 1899, one of the most up-and-coming cities in America was the city of Galveston, Texas. Galveston was a beautiful city. This is what it looked like then. And literally, it was one of the wealthiest cities in the country, and it was being built faster than anything else. Everybody wanted to live in Galveston. It was becoming the place. It was becoming a financial center. I mean, this was an amazing place. These are images of what Galveston looked like. It had a beach. It was incredible. Here's another shot of all the building that was going on. It was the place to be until 1900 when something happened. One of the worst hurricanes in American history hit Galveston, Texas. In fact, it was just known, it became known in history as the Great Storm or the Galveston Storm or the Great Hurricane. No one had ever seen anything like it. In fact, it held several records, barometric pressure and wind speed for a long time, the best they could measure it. Many of the measurements are just lost to history because they didn't have the gauges to measure just how bad the storm was. So many American lives were lost in Galveston that they literally had to, to do at-sea burials. They literally were taking human bodies out to sea just to try to because they couldn't get them buried fast enough. It was horrific. Thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths. It was an obliteration of the city. The city has ne- literally, to this day, the city never got back on the course to being one of the greatest American cities. All of that energy got transferred over to Houston, never to be returned because people just thought this place is destroyed. This is a dangerous place to be, Galveston, Texas. Now, the thing that's crazy about it is that storm hit and they had no idea it was coming. They didn't know it was coming. The day before the hurricane hit, these massive waves and swells were coming in uh, to the beaches of Galveston and people thought, wow, that's weird. They didn't realize that a massive Category 5 historic storm was on top of them. And it's because American weather uh, issues and systems were, well, primitive at best at that time. The people in the world, the best in the world at that time at weather predictions, funny enough, was Cuba. Cuba had the most cutting edge technology and ways to tell where the weather was going. This was pre-communism, pre all those things that, that, that kind of pulled Cuba back. And the Cubans saw this storm. It came near them. And they warned the Americans. They said, hey, we're just letting you know, you got something real bad on its way. And they told them, it's headed to the Texas area. That's where it's going. And the Americans ignored them. They said, no, 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 we've seen the disturbance down there and all of our stuff's telling us it's going to go out into the Atlantic. They ignored it. They ignored it all the way up until a day before the storm. The barometric pressure started dropping so fast, one weatherman in Galveston finally started ringing the bell and saying, there is, there is, there is a bomb about to go off in this town, but it's too late. Peter decides that as a pastor of the church in Rome and all those churches around Rome, that he's not going to let them be unprepared. 
He knows a storm is coming, and the storm that's on its way is called Hurricane Nero. Let me tell you about it. The original audience for 1 Peter were believers. It was believers in the path of a dangerous storm. That's what, that's what 1 Peter is all about. The church in Rome and surrounding Rome were in big trouble, and it's because there's a new boss in town. The new emperor of Rome, if you will, was Nero. Let me tell you about Nero. Nero was the ancient world's Hitler. He was sadistic. He was cruel. And not, you know, the the elevator didn't go all the way to the top all the time either, it looks like, historically. He was horrible. And Nero decided, as all dictators do, that he needed to kind of build a godlike legacy for himself. And the way you did that in the ancient world is you build stuff in your name, okay? But the problem is that the city of Rome at that time was a neighborhood that didn't have any empty lots left. There was nowhere left to, to build anything. So Nero had a plan. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just burn a bunch of it. I'll burn some of what's already here in Rome so that I'll make room to build what I want to build in my name. And he did that. The problem is when Nero lit the fires, they couldn't control it. And the fires continued to burn, and he burned most of Rome, not part of Rome. People died. Lots of people died. People lost their homes. People lost historical artifacts. Rome loved their city, and he had burned a bunch of it. And word started leaking out that he had been seen outside the city watching. There's even a legend that he was listening to music, maybe even playing an instrument while he watched Rome burn. That information got out, and what's funny is even dictators have to have some measure of PR for the people. And Nero figured out real fast he had a PR problem on his hands. He was being blamed rightfully for the burning, so he had to shift the blame fast. So what did he do? Well, Nero came out with a story. Nero and his cronies came out and they said, hey, it wasn't us. We love Rome. We're Rome all the way. It was these Christians. And he blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians. And it was an easy jump to make because the Christians to the Roman Empire, they were weird. They claimed that Rome had crucified their boy and that he came out of a grave three days later. No one still had found the, 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 the body. And they had all these churches all over the empire now. And they did weird stuff. The word was they ate flesh and drank blood, stuff like that. All of this stuff was out there. Nero lit the fire and he said, these folks are weirdos. They do weird stuff and they tried to burn Rome and the, the Roman Empire believed it. And this began one of the worst eras of persecution for the church. In fact, he began to round up Christians. Nero's the one famously who would round them up, put them in arenas with lions, starving animals, all that really happened. Nero's one of the guys that per- perpetuated these um, tragedies on the early church. He famously, Nero, would take living Christians, light them on fire, and put them on poles to light his gardens and his parties while they burned alive. Okay? That's who we're talking about here. Now, Peter, Rome burns, and Peter sees what's coming. The Holy Spirit begins to work through him, and God loves his people. Peter loves God's people, and he's like, there's a hurricane coming. Hurricane Nero, Cat 5, is on its way, and i got to get you prepared. And, when a storm, and I want you to know this. We're going to go all the way through this book, and he's never going to once say, you're not going to have to face the storm. He's going to say, the storm is coming, and you're going to go through this storm, and it's going to be real bad. But right out of the gate today, he's going to begin to show us what we must find shelter in. Because when a storm comes, you have to have shelter. Let's see what that is. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5. 
He opens his letter by telling you that it's him, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this is just the opening of the letter, and it's loaded with truth today, encouraging truth. Because like the early church facing the big storm that was coming their way, we face storms, don't we? The truth is, if you move to the Gulf Coast, here where we live, it's not if, it's when you're going to have your first hurricane. I'm sorry to tell you, if you moved here from Ohio for the great weather, it is awesome until a Cat 5 rolls into town, or a Cat 4, or a Cat 3. And I'm not big on cats anyway. They're bad. Storms, that is. Hurricanes. And when they come, you got to be ready. And if you wait until the storm hits to try to prepare, it is too late. That's, that's what the residents of Galveston learned, sadly. So we got to be ready. And so you and I, like the early church, they collectively are going to face Nero together as a church collectively. That's a big storm. But then they'll have individual stories to tell. Each family will will deal with Nero in their own way. Some of them will lose their loved ones. Some of them will lose their own lives. They're certainly going to lose property. And you, you can only imagine that there's thousands and thousands of individual stories underneath the collective story of this storm called Nero. That's true for us. Some of you here today, you are facing storms that, that for you feel like Cat 4, Cat 5 level storms. Health, financial, relational uh, family issues, concerns. I don't know if y'all know, we got a cat five rolling in on us next year. There's a, there's a storm blowing. It's called a presidential election. That's cat five, F5 tornado type stuff. I can feel the barometric pressure dropping right now. It's coming. So we got storms. How are we going to face them? Peter here gives us an outline right out of the gate of what the shelter should be. Our spiritual identity our future assurance and the character of God, according to Peter, must be the components of our storm shelter. You know, storm shelters typically now are reinforced concrete uh, or basements, but here in the South, we typically don't have a lot of basements, in particular here on the coast. We end up with reinforced rooms in your houses, that kind of thing. And if you don't have that, the next best thing is to get in the most inner part of your house, a room, a bathroom that's walled in with other walls around it in the middle of your house. Whatever it may be, you've got components to your shelter. Peter says here that if we're going to have shelter in the storms we face, they must be spiritual. And here are the, the components. The first one is our spiritual identity. He's going to prove to us and point to us that we are part of the family of God and we've been made a new creation. That's our spiritual identity. He says to the early church, when Nero hits, when the persecution turns up, the first thing I want you to do is remember who you are in Christ. You're going to have to remember that. 
Because if you shelter in the wrong place, you end up in trouble. And too many of us run to the wrong things for shelter during the storms of life. We run to all sorts of earthly things, and all that can be taken away from you, right? If, if a tornado's hitting, don't go get in a tent in your backyard. That's not going to help. Don't go to the wrong place for shelter. Well, Peter doesn't want the early church to run to things that can be taken from them, and Nero can take almost everything they have. Nero can take their property. He will. Nero might take their lives. He will take many. Nero can take their freedom. He will. Nero's going to turn their life upside down. But Peter says, I want to tell you some stuff. Nero, even as powerful as he is, he can't touch this. And the first one on the list is you are a child of God, and Nero can't take that from you. And nothing you're going to face can take that from you. And you're going to have to remember that. We are a part, according to what we just read. It says, this is written to the elect of God. The dispersion, that means the churches were, were dealing, they were all over these areas. And if you think the Bible's a fairy tale that's made up, I'm sorry, fairy tales don't have this level of detail with names of towns and people. and It's all here. He tells you where these Christians are that are about to face all of this. But he lets them know, you belong to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood. He's saying he died for you. That's who you are. And you have a heavenly father, God the Father. He's telling them that when the wind blows hard, you're going to have to remember who you are in Christ. You've been bought with his blood. You are elect, meaning that he chose you. It wasn't an accident. And you need to understand that God is your father. You are a child of God. And Nero may take everything they have. And whatever you're facing may strip you bare too. But it can't take that. Isn't that good news, church? Not only that, the promises of God. He says the other component, one of the other components is the promises of God. And according to Peter here, it is future assurance that is eternal and indestructible. Let's look at what he says. In verse 4, he says, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This means that there are some other things Nero can't take. Nero's going to take their earthly possessions, their homes, their freedoms. He's going to do all that. By the way, you can lose yours too. You do know that. If you're healthy right now, you might not be tomorrow. I'm just being honest with you. This isn't scare tactics. This is how fragile life is. You do not know. Don't depend on those things. They're great to enjoy if you have them. Just don't depend on them. They're nothing to shelter in. You cannot shelter in, I'm going to be healthy forever, or I'm going to have plenty of money forever, or I'm always going to have connections, or I'm always going to be able to make stuff happen. Life has a way of pulling that stuff down. There's winds that can tear through all of that. So that can't be our shelter. Peter says, here's what your shelter is, not what you can produce, but what God has already guaranteed. That's where your confidence can be. And he says, we have an inheritance, something that can't be taken from us. Look, here's the deal. Someone came in today and said, hey, Chris, just want to bless you, brother. Here's $50 million. Number one, I'd be like, man, that's, that's very nice. Very nice. I'm taking everybody in here to a nice meal. We're going to lunch today. All right, it's going to be a lot of fun. But one thing that would change, right, is I would go, well, Pretty much like financially, I don't really have to worry about that. There's other things I got to deal with, but I, you kind of set up, right? Someone has kind of made sure that that is set up. And, and so that's kind of what Peter's doing here. He's saying to the early church and us, he's saying, look, you have a heavenly father 
He's got you. He's got you covered. Like if you die, he's telling a church that a lot of them are going to die. And he says to them, even that can't stop your inheritance. Like on the other side of your grave is just the beginning of what God has for you. And Nero can't take it. He can't touch it. He can't do anything about that. So it's going to be all right. Because it is secure. It can't be destroyed. They're watching Rome burn around them. And he says, but God's got something for you that can't be destroyed. Aren't you thankful for that? And finally, he says, in the storms, you're going to have to remember the character of God. Because if you're telling me that I don't have to worry about the storm, that everything's going to be all right, I have an inheritance, then then you're going to have to tell me why I should believe that. What is the hinge upon which Peter's argument swings? And this is the most important component of our storm shelter spiritually, and it is the character of God. Because if God can't be trusted, then he can't be my shelter. A few years ago, we had a hurricane hit here, Sally. Oh, Sally. Sally came to Fairhope and decided she'd stay for a while, didn't she? She was like, well, I really like it here. This truly is one of the nicer towns in the South. She hung around all night long. Three o'clock in the morning, still Sally, blowing like crazy outside. I'm hearing sounds in my house I'd never heard before. So I called the guy who built my house. <laughs> Middle of the night. I said, hey, I hope you built a good house. You don't know what he said to me? I hope I did too. <laughs> we were joking around. But the truth is, in the middle of the night, it was really good to be able to know that I knew the guy that built my house, and he built awesome houses. And I knew that it was good and strong. And I knew that we were going to be all right because I trusted who built it. I knew him. I reminded him of that, too. I know where you live, bro. This doesn't work out. I'm coming for you. So here's the deal. We got to trust. Peter says you can trust You can trust the character of God. Let's look at what he says about God. He says, first of all, he is our father and he is merciful. That's his motivation for sheltering us. He's merciful. He's also engaged and he's also strong. Peter says you can trust God. Number one, he's merciful. He just loves us and wants the best for us. So he does not forget us in the middle of our storms. He's actually good. He has no ulterior motives. I'm going to be honest with you. I have ulterior motives often in my life. For instance, yesterday, my wife and I were running errands and stuff, going down the road. And you would think this was caring on my part. I said, hey, hey, can I, can I get you something to eat? Are you, are you hungry? And she goes, you know what? I am. And I said, oh, well, let's stop and get you something to eat. Now, you think, man, Chris. Now that's, that's the kind of pastor we want right there. Caring for his wife, caring for his marriage. The truth is, I was hungry. I was hungry. And I wanted something to eat. I just wanted to blame it on Nan. You know what I mean? My wife. And so when she said, yeah, you know me too, I was like, Chick-fil-A's right there. Look, there it is. Like a shining city on a hill. The Christian chicken has arrived. And I had my excuse. Ulterior motive. I love her. But I was hungry too. The Bible says, though, God God is pure in his motives for us. God just loves you and cares for you, and he has good motives for his 
love and mercy for us. Also, he's engaged. Look what it says. It says not only is he great in mercy, it says he has caused. Verse 3, he has caused us to be born again. That means you didn't fall into this. He came for you, pursued you. He came and got you. You thought you found him. You didn't find him. He wasn't lost. He's never been lost. You didn't find God. He came and got you. That's how that happened. You are never going to get up to bat proverbially in your Christian life and look out in the stands and go, where's my daddy? Where's dad? Why isn't he here to see me play? This is my big game and dad's not here like a million kids have experienced. You're never going to look out in the stands and say, where's my dad? Why isn't he here? What's he doing? Is he gone again? Did he find something more important again? You don't have a disengaged father. You don't have a heavenly father who doesn't know what you're going through. You don't have a heavenly father who's turned his face away. No, it says here, he caused us to be born again. He is ever present. He is with us always. He will never leave and forsake. The Bible says that his eyes move to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those, us, who believe upon him, who he can be strong for and hold them up. That's who we have. We've got a daddy that's involved, y'all, in our lives. Amen? This is what you got to hold to, by the way. This is not just like a pep rally. This is Peter saying, when the wind blows, here's where you go. Here's your hurricane plan. This is your tornado plan. Because when it blows hard enough, you're going to need something that can't be destroyed. And he says, the character of God is that thing. Finally, he's strong. It says, by his power, you're, you're guarded. Even death. Now look. He's looking at Christians who are probably going to die, a bunch of them. And he's telling them to not be afraid because even death itself can't hold back these promises of God. This is the greatest of news. Well, now, if I build a shelter, though, which is what Peter just said, here's your shelter. If I've got a great storm shelter and a storm hits, I still got to get in it, right? Like, let's say I have a reinforced room in my house and a tornado's hitting, and I'm out on the porch looking at the tornado. Here it comes. And my neighbor comes out on their porch and says, hey, man, do you, do you need a, a storm shelter? We have a storm shelter. I go, no, 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 I got one. And I begin to tell them what it's made of. Reinforced, concrete. It's great. Got some food down in there. It's all good. And they're looking at me like, well, why are you out there? And if I stand on the porch and don't get in the shelter that I have available to me and I know all about, can even tell you about it, but I don't get in it, it does me no good, Right? So Peter tells the church how to get in the shelter he just built for them. 1 Peter 1.6, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So he does not hold back. This is not the garbage prosperity gospel that we get on our American airwaves a lot. You will go through storms. There's not any amount of faith you can have that will keep you from going through a storm. I'm sorry. That sounds real good. Preachers can mm, amen on that stuff. But it happens to not be true. You will go through storms. That's what he says here. But you get in the shelter. And the shelter is there available to you. And how do I get in it? By rejoicing in this. Rejoice in what? My spiritual identity, the character of God, and the promises of God. Rejoice in this. So I give you this principle that Peter's given us. What I rejoice in becomes my shelter. Now ask yourself right now, what do you rejoice in? As the storms blow in your life, 
What, what is the thing that you think will bring you joy? What do you rejoice in? Is it if I can, if things will just get back to the way they were? I got to tell you, tornado's going to get you. You're like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. That movie gave me nightmares. How many of you remember, were you, how many of you are old enough that you remember when it came on once a year and you watched it, right, with your family? Y'all remember when the tornado's hitting? And it's like everybody on that farm got into that outdoor tornado shelter. You remember that? And Annie M's like, Dorothy, Dorothy. This thing got me later in life. And I would watch it. And here comes Dorothy with Toto, right? She's got Toto. And they are all down in there, and they've closed it. That tornado's come. How they pulled that off in the 1930s, because it's really what, it's still kind of freaky to look at it. And Dorothy can't get in. And you remember, she is kicking that door. And in my mind, I'm like, come on, Annie M. Open that door. I know you hear her down there. Whatever. That's another story. She can't get in. So the shelter does her no good. Peter tells us, get into it. And the way you do is to rejoice in it. That means as a Christian, I need to run to who I am in Christ, who God is, his promises for me, and not just for me, but we need each other. So when I see you going through a storm, I don't come over and put my arm around you. You got this, man. What kind of garbage is that? You don't have this, but he does. So I need to look at you as a Christian brother and sister, and I need to say to you, hey, remember who you are in Christ. Remember God's promises. Remember that he's strong and he's good and he's merciful and he'll never let you down. Now, that is how you and I help one another into the shelter, right? That's how we do this. Not, you got this, buddy. I'm sorry. That is a shelter that can't hold strong. You don't have this. He does, though. And when we face storms, we're to preach that to each other. Don't be like Annie M. won't even open the door. Let's get in the shelter. What you rejoice in is what you shelter in. We don't always escape from the storm, but we'll always be sustained through it. That's what Peter says here. You're going to face the storm. It's going to be grievous. It's going to be hard, but you'll be sustained. So now we have a shelter that he's built for us, and now we know how to get in it. What I rejoice in. But why? Still the lingering question, though, is why Nero anyway? God, why would you let this stuff happen? Why storms? Why do we face stuff? And Peter goes there. He's not afraid to go there. He says, so that. That's what he, he's cluing you in. He's about to tell you his best shot at why it happens. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, a few things we have here. Let's go to the end of it first. At the end here, he goes back to the joy idea. He says, your joy is going to become a shelter that is inexpressible, full of glory. It's going to become something you're good at. You keep, you're going to get better at running to this shelter. As soon as the wind blows, you're going to get so good at it, you just go right there. You don't even make any other stops. That's what he's saying. So the joy of the Lord is what we're going to call storm-proof. The buildings in Galveston were not stormproof. They were all leveled by the great storm. 
But your joy in Christ as you build it, as you learn to run to it, as you trust in it, it becomes stormproof in your life. Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A strong tower doesn't help you no matter how strong it is unless you run into it. And how do we do that? By rejoicing in it and helping one another rejoice in it. But let's go back to the beginning of this little passage we were looking at. So that, that phrase means he's telling you why the storm comes. And here's why. Because God does big work through big storms. I learned this. My wife and I lived in Pensacola for a while while we were church planting over there. And when I got there, let me just say this. Pensacola was just ite. I like the term ite. It's all right. It's okay. But God had called us there. And then we're, we're in the middle of getting this church off the ground, and Hurricane Ivan hit. Y'all remember Hurricane Ivan? Oh, he was a bad, bad boy. He was the worst storm that had ever hit Pensacola in 100 years. It was bad. It looked like a bomb had gone off. And you looked at it, and you thought, man, this is awful. But if you go to Pensacola downtown area now, I think it's way better than all right. Like, it's awesome. And you can trace a ton of what has happened over there to Hurricane Ivan. Hurricane Ivan came and blew stuff out of the way that probably needed to go for a long time. Brought money in, gave people ideas on things maybe we could do now. And what's crazy is you would never want another Hurricane Ivan to hit. But you can see that very good things came out of it in time. Baseball stadiums and restaurants and streets that used to be kind of, eh, now there's cool stuff happening. You go down there, it's nice. The storm did good things. People argue that the Mobile area did that after Frederick years and years ago, that it became a revival eventually of what happened in the areas. What am I saying here? I'm saying storms feel really bad in the moment, but over time, you can see that good things can come out of them, and that's exactly what Peter's saying here. He's saying good things are going to come out of this, and I'll just give you one big historical one. You ready for this? You go to Rome right now. Go to that Colosseum where this junk happened, and you're not going to find anything about Nero and all those guys. They're all dead, including the empire they built. Nero tried to kill Christianity in the church, but today, including right here in this room and all over the world, there's Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of Christians worshiping right now. The church is very much alive, and Rome is dead as a doornail, just so you know. Sorry. The Roman Empire is no more. It is ruins. It is a museum. Nero, dead and gone. He is on the dust heap of dictators from history, put in the same bucket with Stalin and Hitler and all the other losers. But the church still stands. Why? Because Jesus is still alive and on the throne and the king of kings, right? That's why. And so he does big work through big storms. And finally, he lands the plane for us today by telling us that God has providential power, meaning that God's hand is moving history and if you pull back from it like an oil painting, my grandmother was an oil, paint, oil painter, and as a kid I used to paint with her, and if you're right on top of it, you can't really see what's going on, but you step back and you go, oh, whoa, look at that. You see the beauty. And when we're in the middle of our storm, all we see is the wind, but as you step back with time and look at it, you go, oh, I see what God was up to. 
Peter ends by reminding the church that's about to go through this storm that they need to step back and see that he's always been in control, and he still is. Look what he says. Verses 10 and 12, through 12. Concerning this salvation, Peter says, the prophets, Old Testament, who prophesied about the grace, the gospel, that was to be yours. So they were prophesying about the future grace in Jesus. They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That's so Peter at the end there. Paul's so intellectual and all that. Peter's got stuff like, even angels wish they knew what you got. I mean, Peter had a way of grabbing your heart, which is why when Paul preached, people fell out of windows asleep and broke their necks, and that's a true story. He was so boring. He's the smart one. Peter comes in and says stuff like, even the angels wish they knew what you had, and everybody's like, oh, Peter's our man. I'm sure Paul, it drove him crazy, you know? But at the end here, Peter says, hey, when things seem out of control, we're going to have to trust that he is in control. And the way he proves it is to pull back from history, and he says, just look. He says, Jesus seemed like a surprise, but he wasn't a surprise. These guys, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, told us he was coming, told us how he would die, told us he would rise again, told us he was going to bring the kingdom. God's been moving history with his mighty hand all along, and he's letting them know. This crazy guy, Nero, thinks he's in control, but he's not. He's sitting on the throne of Rome, but your God sits on the throne of all things. And he's in control, and we're going to have to remember that. We close with this final thought, Psalms. Psalm 46, 1 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Say, what do I do with this today, Chris? Well, we're all facing storms and going to face them. And you're going to have to decide now, where are you going to shelter? Don't pick the wrong shelter. Pick this one. Character of God, promises of God, and your identity in Christ. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word today. And I pray that you'd help us to shelter in you by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.